Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, but should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Elland. Now, to start off, if you like our podcast, then write a review on the social media platform you're listening to us on, and that way we can move up in the ranks and more people will be able to find us. And when dealing with cannabis, it's all about education, 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 and we appreciate your listenership. Now, today, we're talking to a former police officer who was diagnosed with a rare form of brain cancer and given two years to live. That was 15 years ago, and he attributes his longevity, in part, to cannabis. And he has a remarkable story to tell. And joining us from Cleveland, Ohio, is Jason Berger. Jason, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Jason, how did you find out you had a rare form of brain cancer? Um, So... I got hired in Valley View Police in 98, and I left Valley View in 04 to go next door to Independence Police Department. And when I was with Valley View, I was involved in a shooting, my first shooting. When I went to Independence, all those field training officers that I had, which I had worked with them in the past because we were in eight departments, they all wanted to know about the shooting. And I kept telling them, you know, they said, you know, any regrets? And I said, well, my only regret was I didn't put a bullet in the back of the guy's head. Lo and behold, month and a half on a job on 77 North, get a speeder going 70 plus miles an hour on 77 and pull him over. And it comes back as a stolen vehicle taken by gunpoint. Lo and behold, long story short, involved my second shooting three days later, come back to work and I'm still on uh, probation. And I said, what are we doing today? I said, you got to learn the maps. You're going to get, you're going to tested in the morning on the streets. And basically the rest I can tell you is because I was told after the fact, so we're on 12-hour shifts up there, so 6.30 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. At about 10 after 6 in the morning, the day shift sergeant comes on, Brad, which I've known for the last 30-plus years, a, a, a friend of mine, and he said, night shift guys take off, we'll handle in your calls. About 10 after 6. So all night shift guys took off except for I, and except for me, and I stayed around, and they said I was staring at the squad room door, and I was studying very intensely the bows, the be on the lookouts, the officer training schools, the steel, stolen vehicle reports. And they said I was just really, really studying it very intensely. And the one officer, Jimmy, says, hey, Berg, how's it going? And I don't respond to him. And then he says, are you okay? And I don't respond again. And then another officer, Charlie, says, uh, Jace, would you look at Jimmy when he's talking to you? Again, no response. And then Jimmy's going to bust my balls a little bit and tell, you know, he's going to say, Oh, I get it. You guys from the Valley are too good for us here up on the Hill. Again, no response. He says, Jason, would you look at me? And they said, I turned around once, twice, five times. And then my eyes rolled back in my head. I fell down, blasted my head on the tile floor, had a full grandma seizure, got rushed to a local hospital, got life flooded to Cleveland clinic. And I was in the Cleveland clinic for about a year, or I'm sorry, about a week before they gave me this diagnosis, because at that time, in 04, the people that generally had this disease or got this disease were immune com- compromised. So they were AIDS, HIV, have had an organ transplant or elderly that were making them all immune compromised. And I have none of that. So for me to get this disease is very rare. It's, so, it's such a rare disease. 
It's less than 4% of all central nervous system cancers worldwide. And I'm on this worldwide Facebook group, and it just came out about six months ago. There's only 456 members on there, and I'm one of the males that's active on there. And this woman had posed a question, and I said, well, after 14 plus years, this is what I do, blah, blah, blah. She says, 14 years, you got to be longest living survivor ever. I said, nah, Rich Rossiter's 15 year out, years out. I said, Rich, are you? And he didn't respond. Somebody else said, no, George Branch has turned 81 with no relapses. I said, George, are you? He didn't respond. Somebody else said, no, Joe Cunningham's 34 years out with no relapses. I said, Joe, are you? And nobody responded for quite some time. That woman that started that thread, she said, Jason, do you realize that you're potentially the fourth longest living survivor of this disease of all time? I said, I didn't. But I said, hey, Joe, hey, George, I'm happy for you. I'll tell you what, boys, I'm coming to get you. Jason, what type of brain cancer is it? It's called primary central nervous system lymphoma, CNS lymphoma. And it, it affects the CNS central nervous system. So mm-hmm. they were always checking my vision and my vision was better than 2020. And then all of a sudden out of my right eye, I started seeing some floaters and then they went from floaters to the right eye to the left eye. And then it got to the point where it was almost as if somebody smeared Vaseline over my eyes. I could just see shapes and my CNS lymphoma had moved from my brain to my eyes. And that's even more rare. And I, unfortunately now I'm completely blind in my left eye. Um, and it's, when I say blind, it's called NLP. That stands for no light perception. You can shine the brightest light you want in my left eye. And I see it's a black abyss. I see nothing at all. Jason, when you told the story at the beginning about, uh, uh people asking you questions and talking to you and you, you didn't respond, do you recall that? I don't recall that, but when I when when I got on the stretcher, this part I do recall. Um, my, my sergeant Brad was asking me the right questions, but in the wrong fashion. Do you know where you're at? And I, for whatever reason, I'm laughing uncontrollably. Cannot stop laughing. Well, laughing is contagious, and now the medics are all laughing. He's laughing. All the, all the cops are laughing, and he says, "Do you know where you're at?" And I said, "Yeah." And he looks at the medic. He's like, "That's good. That's good." He's like, "Do you know who I am?" Again, cracking up laughing. I'm like, yeah, I know you are. He goes, okay, what's my name? I said, I don't know. They go, Brad, we got to take him. He's like, no, this guy's a ball buster. I've known him for the last 30 plus years. What's my name? I go, dude, I have no idea. So they put me in the uh, ambulance and I had another seizure and they took me up to Marymount. And then that's when I got life flighted up to the clinic. And I don't recall any of that. All gone. Jason, did you have um, any sort of sense of something being, being amiss in your body prior to that? Nope. Absolutely nothing. Complete out of the blue. Complete rug pulled out from underneath my legs. Jason, I was looking up uh, on the internet your form of brain cancer, and it says the median survival was uh, is 12 to 18 months, and the five-year survival rate is 3 to 4% in immunocompetent patients, and immunosuppressed individuals fared worse. So you've really defied the odds. What have you done to defy those odds? So when I spoke with Corey, I told her, I do not believe that there's one magic bullet out there. I do believe it is a lifestyle change and you do have to change everything in your life. So what did I do? You name it, I did it. And my girlfriend, Liz, who's been truly a godsend in every sense of the word, divine intervention, the way she's in my life. And she said, you truly are a walking 
history of CNS lymphoma treatments. And I also, so I, I see, I do acupuncture and she told me, Ann Kinchin, she told me, she said, you know, I tell my patients all about you because you've left no stone unturned. You've done alternatives, you've done conventional, you've done homeopathic, you've done everything there is, Chinese medicine. And uh, it's just, I don't know what has kept me around this long or why I'm around this long. And I, I told Liz, I said, as cheesy as it sounds, I genuinely liked helping people as a police officer. I wasn't bullied. I didn't want to get back to the community and go arrest people. I genuinely like helping people. And I told her, I no longer have that platform, but now in some crazy twist of fate, I've got a much larger platform and I can help much more, many more people on a grander scale. And that's what I plan on doing. And sadly, I get phone calls multiple times a month from, hey, I got a coworker, I got my aunt, my my dad, my brother. Will you talk to them? I'll talk to anybody about what, I, what I've done to stay alive. And I believe making the body the least hospitable to let cancer want to reside in my body is the key to it. I believe eating all organic. Uh, I really don't eat any sugar to speak of. No high fructose corn syrup. No alcohol. I never was a smoker. I used to. I used to be a drinker, and I have not had a drop in over four years. Um, and just really trying to not have this come back again because. So, so what, uh, in our, in our worldwide Facebook group, there's only like 456 members on there. And this woman, Phyllis is really a great resource. She's, she's been a career, uh, statics. She, she took statistics on, uh, heart transplant val valve transplants, and she just happened to get this disease. So she really, really digs deep when it comes to research. Her and, and my girlfriend Liz are just phenomenal. And uh, she, she told me that you are, without a doubt, the most relapses we've ever had with this disease. So I've got, I've got five, this is my, my fifth relapse. And nobody else has had that in our group. So when we meet with these doctors, they all are telling me you're an outlier. You're a pioneer. And I thought that was really cool in the beginning. But at the end of the day, you don't want to be that guy because they don't know how to treat me. So they're they're throwing up Hail Marys. And the disease is getting more prevalent in immune competence. And it's getting more prevalent worldwide. And it's starting to get more attention. So MSK in New York City, they're doing really great stuff on it. So is uh, Dana-Farber and... Uh, Mass General in Boston, and we, so I've been getting treated for the last 15 years at the Cleveland Clinic, and they did a great job, but they kind of ran out of options for me, so Liz and I, when I say Liz and I, I mean Liz, did a bunch of research, and she found out that MSK and MGH had the best uh, statistics with the least number of fatalities and the most number of success stories, so Dr. Gramas wrote a paper, and when I spoke to him, I said, why do you like this stem cell transplant for, for me? And what, he's, what he told me really caught my attention. He said, every patient I have 65 years of age or younger that I give a stem cell transplant with this disease, I have five years with no relapses, no recurrences. Well, that caught my attention. Given two years to live, and now I'm 15 out, and you're going to give me another five? So there's a, there's a little discrepancy with the other 
hospitals, they don't, they believe that my brain's had so much treatment and so much damage to it. There's no way I'm getting five years out of this. I'll definitely have another relapse. And I, I'm just not buying that. I, I believe this, I'm, I'm doing everything so strict and so diligent that there is no way cancer is going to come back in this body. Mm-hmm. Now, of all the treatments you've had, how did you find out about cannabis? So the first treatment I had was called blood-brain barrier disruption. Very, very barbaric. And they go up the right, right from the artery, go through a catheter all up into my brain, inject a chemical called mannitol. Mannitol drops the blood-brain barrier. So for layman's terms, the brain's force field is now gone. And then they go up that same femoral artery, up that same catheter, and inject chemo directly into the brain. The next day, they go up the left side and pick one of the other three ventricles they didn't pick the first day and do the same procedure again. The problem with that procedure with me personally is I wake up very early and very fast out of anesthesia because the blood-brain barrier is disrupted. They couldn't take my anesthesia like they normally would. And I woke up intubated, gagging, and I inked the tube out. And I told them I never want that to happen again. No problem, Mr. Berger. The next day I wake up and I'm gagging, choking. I go to yank the tube out and I'm strapped to the bed. So now I'm vomiting and they're backing up the vomit and I'm telling them, you know, I can't breathe. And they're, they're, te- they're telling me you can breathe and they're backing up the vomit. So I tell my wife at the time, I said, hey, uh, this is what happened. Well, I was so out of it. I didn't know what planet I was on. Who's she going to believe, me or, or the professionals? So she took the professionals and then... I went and saw a local faith here, Dr. Isam Nimi, and had an incredible, incredible result with him. And we went, we so September 27th was when I went down for the count. And my one year wedding anniversary was November 8th. So we weren't even married a year. And uh, we couldn't go anywhere nice for dinner. So we went to a local steakhouse in Independence where I was a cop. And, uh, I told Jen, my ex-wife, I said, I'm, I'm going to run to the bathroom. And I really had no sense of time. And I think I'm in the 30 seconds. And she sticks her head in the men and she says, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'll be out in a minute. Now, in my mind, another 30 seconds, she comes in the men's room. She says, do you think it's odd that you're in a men's room over half an hour? And I said, do you think it's odd that you're in a men's room of a public restaurant? Fair enough. So she leaves. Again, 30 seconds, I think it was by. And she's, Jace, you've been in over, 40, over 45 minutes. And I was like Tourette's. I was screaming and yelling, swearing like crazy. And I said, would you let me take a fucking shit? So she comes, she leaves. So then all of a sudden, my old sergeant, Brad, shows up, my captain. And again, 30 seconds, I think, goes by. And he's like, hey, uh, Jen calls, says, you've been in the bathroom over an hour. I go, she goes, what, you, what are you doing? I said, I'm shooting basket. You want to play? He's like, why don't you come on out? I go, I'll be out in a minute. So he comes back again. He's a big guy. He looks over a stall. He says, Jace, did you go to the bathroom? I said, no. He said, are you sure? I said, yeah, why? He said, did anything come out at all? I said, no, why? He said, because your pants are even down. That's how out of that I was just sitting on the toilet. And he said, come on out. And I'm, I'm looking up at him. And he goes, he had to verbally walk me through. He goes, Jason, stand up now. So I stood up. He goes, unlock the door. And I'm just looking at him like a zombie. He goes, extend your hand out, grab the handle. So I walk me out and the whole restaurant's looking at me and I start MF from the place up and down. Jen's crying and they get me outside and uh, we start driving what I thought was back home. And 
<clears throat> all of a sudden, I go, where are you going? She goes, I'm taking you to this church to see this local faith healer. So we go there, and there's maybe 30, 40 people in there. We're in the back of the church. And I'm watching, and I'm screaming from the back of the church. You guys are all snake oil salesmen. This is bullshit. And they're, they're, they're going down like you'd see on the movies. And I get up there, and Dr. Nimi's up there. And to his left, my right, is his wife. And to my left, his right, is this little Irish nun. And as, as I get closer, the wife starts losing her balance and falling down. And I, I start saying, that is, you get the Academy Award. You need to work on this broad. I'm, I'm telling that to the doctor. And nobody told this doctor Nimi why I was up there. And I get up, and as I get closer, his wife says, Kathy says, oh, something's going on with this guy. Some, something's really going on with this guy. And he goes right up to my head. And I've been watching people up there maybe three, four minutes, and they go down. He was up there well over 10 minutes. And he goes right to my head, and he opens his eyes, and he says, your brain tumor's gone. You're going to be fine. So I smack him on the shoulder. I, okay. So I turn around and the whole church is filled with my ex-coworkers from Valley View Police and Independence Police with their families. They're praying for me. So I can walk into Jen. She goes, what do you say? I go, it says my fucking tumor's gone. Let's get the hell out of this shithole. So we go walking away and the nun comes up and she goes, excuse me, what brought you here again to a nun? I would never speak like this to anybody, let alone a nun. I go, I don't know, sis sister. What the fuck brought you here? And she looks at Jen. She says, uh what's going on? He's like, well, he's got this rare form of brain cancer and we don't know what to do. His prognosis is horrible. So we thought we'd come here. And the nun says, what's significant about today? And Jen says, well, this is our one year wedding anniversary. She said, I knew a miracle was going to happen today. It happened with your husband. Please let us know when your next appointment is. So I go for my next appointment and Dr. Pierman at the clinic, a sweetheart of a man looks like you saw a ghost. And he said, how do you feel? I go, I'm fucking great, doc. How do you feel? I said, you don't look so good. He said, I've never seen a patient with this disease have such a tremendous response after one round of chemo like this. So he showed me my MRI, my brain. And if you see the MRI brain, it looks like a butterfly wings. And the one last month was all covered in tumor. You couldn't see it was all white. And the one they took that morning was completely clear as a bell. And he said, not only have I never heard of this or seen this, I've never heard of this with this disease. This is going down in history. So I smack him on the shoulder. I said, okay, no more treatments. So he said, we're going to still do the full 24 treatments. And then about two weeks later, I woke up and I said, Jen, I'm better. She goes, what do you mean? I said, I know yesterday I was messed up and I know today I'm better. She goes, you seem a lot more with her. I go, I'm telling you I'm better. And I just got better and better from that day on forward. Um, but what I did have through the blood-brain barrier disruption was horrible mouth sores, horrible muscle aches, bone aches, joint pains, just lethargic beat up. And then I had my second relapse and same, same thing again. And then I had my third relapse where I had these five to seven lesions cross between description, cross between mosquito bites slash pimples on my left tricep. And the girl I was dating at the time her dad had pancreatic cancer and I was doing so well for so many years. I had stopped looking for alternative stuff. And the, 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 the guy was a really nice guy. So I, I went back to my research trying to find something to help him. And that's when I came across run from the cure, the, the Rick Simpson story. And I went back to all my friends. I grew up with that in and out of jail. And I, I acquired some raw vegetative material and I made my own RSO. 
Mm-hmm. And I gave it to him. Well, he passed away. I've never seen anybody pass away uh, from diagnosis of death as fast as he did. It was 36 days. And he's gone now. And I had all this leftover oil. And <clears throat> my girlfriend, she goes, what's on the back of your arm? I go, don't worry about it. I had him for years, a couple years now. I said, I've always had a truck. I've got a car. And I'm always in a hurry. And when I go to get out of the car, I use my left tricep to hit on the door jam to get out of the car faster. And that's where those, those dots are at. So we'll go get it checked out. So get it checked out. And lo and behold, it can, comes back positive for large B-cell lymphoma of the left leg type. And I asked my neuro-oncologist, Dr. Pierboom, I said, is this related to my brain? And he said, well, we, just, we, don't, we don't know yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand you off to our skin lymphoma specialist. Which I didn't even know lymphoma could be on the skin. Nonetheless, I meet with her and she said, we want to do targeted radiation. I said, well, I want to get a second opinion. So I got the runaround for like two months. And in that two month time frame, I was taking the oil that I had made for uh, John that had passed away. And uh, in two months, those lesions that I had for two years are now gone. And I went to get my second opinion and they said, uh, where are these lesions at? I go, they were here. He goes, I see a spot. I go, actually, that's the incision mark from the last biopsy they did. He's like, I'm going to take that loss also. So they did it. Unfortunately, it did come back positive again. So I opted to do, uh, so that was at University Hospital. And they, I said, what's your protocol? What's your, for this? They said, we want to do systemic chemotherapy, our CHOP, followed up with targeted radiation. And I asked them and the Cleveland Clinic, how could two very well-respected medical institutions have two very different treatment options? And they both said that's what I was supposed to come up with. So my buddy, Jason, his name is Jason also, he's a physician assistant for UH. And he said, Berger, you know, you got to do this. It's, I mean, this is a very, you know, aggressive disease. So I opted to do it, but I had the cannabis oil this time. And I'm telling you, when I would do chemo for my first two, it felt like three, four days afterwards, it felt like I played back out tackle football with no pads on and every muscle in my body was sore. This time around, the third time, and our chop is no joke. Our chop is five different chemotherapies that make up this cocktail that, from what I'm told, really does a number on people, mm-hmm. and it just didn't. I had no mouth sores. You wouldn't even think, you, didn't, you did not even know I was going through chemo. I, I, I fared it so well. And I went uh, through through all the chemo there, and then I did the target radiation again. Walk in the park, not a, not a big issue at all. And then I did the follow ups, and I went to see the chemo doctor. And him and I were, were like, "Well, and water, we not get along from the get go." And he said, "Do you have any questions to me?" I said, "Do you want to see my arm?" He said, "No." Any other questions? I said, "Yeah." I said, "If every single test across the board was negative, that's CAT scan." MRI, bone marrow biopsy, blood work, all negative, and the lesions are gone before we even started treatment. How are you going to know if the treatment's worked or not? He's like, well, if it comes back, we do more treatment, okay? And he leaves. So I call my buddy Jay up. I go, hey, we got to talk. So I meet him. I said, that doctor's a real asshole. He said, you're going to call the doctor to save your life an asshole? I said, he saved my life. He says, Berger, did anybody tell you how serious this is? I said, they did. I said, I'm not fine. He goes, let me tell you something. The fact that you were still alive from your first cancer is an outright miracle. People just don't survive it. The fact that second cancer, which is crazy aggressive, has not moved your lymphos, another organ, has me and these doctors baffled. Well, I got pissed off. I said, 
if I'm this freak in nature, this anomaly, and all these other patients are dying, how is it that you and your colleagues that live for a lifetime of learning have not asked me once what I'm doing different from all these other patients? What are you doing? I said, cannabis oil. He's like, I can't talk about it. I go, what do you mean you can't talk about it? He's like, I start talking about cannabis, I lose my license. Period. I can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. I go, well, he, I, I would say, you know, whatever you're doing, keep it up. I said, I don't need anybody's permission to keep doing this. I'm going to definitely keep doing it. And I did it and I did it and I did it. And then I stopped. And then I had my fourth relapse. And then I got back on it again. And Jason, I, yes. Um, how much oil were you taking a day? So my tolerance was off the charts. Um, I was taking, you know, everybody likes to do RSO in grains of rice sizes. Mm-hmm. I was probably doing three to four grains of rice, three to four times a day orally. And I was doing uh, suppositories and I was doing vaping and I was doing edibles. So I, don't, I couldn't tell you what you it was. You had the full meal deal. You got it. And I would expect the oil that you had wasn't tested as far as potency. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Jason, what was your attitude towards cannabis when you were a police officer? I, it wasn't, to me, that was a weak, sissy bust. You, I mean, it's, to me, it's a benign plant. Yeah. It, that was even when I was a cop. It was just, if I pulled over somebody from wheat for that possession, I'd take it from them and I'd throw it down, down a sewer. Now, Jason, what fascinates me about someone like you, who has this very serious condition, who's outlived the normal lifespan of someone who has this condition, is their mental attitude. Mm-hmm. How has your mental attitude been over the years, knowing what you're inflicted with? I'm glad you asked that question. Um, so prior to my stem cell transplant, which was let so... April 24th will be one year since my transplant. And uh, to get sidetracked here, what's notable about that is when you get a stem cell transplant, they call that your rebirth date. And what I thought was really notable was it was springtime. So the rebirth of the seasons, it was Easter, the rebirth of the Christ. And now it's my rebirth date that fell on my actual birthday, April 24th. And I'd ask every medical personnel that came through my door, have you ever had or heard of a patient have their stem cell transplant rebirth date falling or actual birth date? Not one of them said yes. So I thought that was kind of really unique. Again, the outlier. So uh, prior to my stem cell transplant, I had gotten five different phone calls from five different circles of friends. I'm very blessed to have multiple friends. And they all asked me that same question. How are you dealing with this mentally? And it kept me up at night. Like, how, how am I? Not once... Have I ever wavered or whatever once did I ever say, I'm done, I can't do this anymore? It's never even crossed my mind. And I don't, I don't, and I, what I came up with was, I think the home that I grew up in with the abusive alcoholic father and the landfill and just the, just the upbringing that I had laid the groundwork for me to never give up. And there's so many influential people in my neighborhood that were really, really strong individuals. And, you know, as negative as my dad was, he instilled being tough. And I had an older brother. So my first chemo, the blood-brain barrier disruption, 
my brother told Dr. Pirabum, he's like, load him up. He can take it. And Dr. Pirabum says, he's at the max. And my brother Matt says, he goes, give him more. He can take it. I go, hey. I go, this is me, man. He's like, I would beat my brother on the hour daily. He can take it. And Dr. Pirabum says, if we do any more chemo, it's going to be more toxic than helpful. So he's at the max. And I stayed at the max the whole time. Mm, that's an interesting. Nope. That's an interesting story. That's uh, you know, so many people uh, turn them turn their health over to medical professionals and do what the medical professionals say they should do, whereas others like you and like Corey take their own health into their own hands and defy the odds. And I think that is truly remarkable. Well, it's. I don't know anybody on the planet that has all the answers mm -hmm. and if anybody thinks they do run run away from <laughs> so yeah I'll, I'll give all the doctors in the world all the credit in the world because what they have to learn liz is going to nurse practitioner school right now she studies non-stop i couldn't imagine how much schooling a doctor gets but what they don't get is any schooling or limited schooling in diet yeah that's right how, what you put in your body does not determine, and the and the garbage that they they feed you in the hospitals that ensure is poison. It's all sugar, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sugar is going to feed that. Yeah. Yes, it will. Yeah, well, absolutely, it will. No, Jason. Without cannabis, where would you be today? I don't know. Would I be still alive? I don't know. Would I be this? Um, so. Again, back to Liz, and I hate to keep bringing it back to her, but she's been so incredible through this whole ordeal. And that's only been within the last three years, two and a half years. Um, she said, you know, your attitude, from the moment you walked into MSK, you were already, you were already healed. You were already done. You're ready to go. And the cancer's already out of your body. And that's been my mindset that, don't get me wrong, you know, each time it comes back, it's a gut punch. Yeah. And I mean, how many times can the human body endure all the toxicity and all the treatments? And the, so back November 16, 2018 at four o'clock in the morning, I had stopped taking my Keppra because I hadn't had a seizure in 13 years for, since the get-go. And uh, I just decided I don't need Keppra. I don't need the anti-seizures med meds anymore because there's no tumors in my brain, so it's not going to cause any seizures. That was my line of thinking. Well, 4 o'clock in the morning, grandma's seizure, rushed to Metro, local trauma hospital, wife led at a clinic, and intubated and over five hours in grand mal seizure, and finally got it to stop. So what, what's notable about that is the first anti-seizure med they gave me was dilantin, and it made my arms itch. So they stopped that. So that's an allergy noted up on my on my chart. And when I was in this grand mal seizure for God knows, well, over five hours, um, they asked Liz, what is his allergy to a dilantin? And they, she said, it makes his arms itch. They gave me dilantin and it shut it off like a light switch. So we get back home and I got, I've got my faculties about me. And I said, Liz, this is a very ugly road. 
it's probably going to get uglier. I give you full dispensation to walk away and just go live your life. I said, I never want to be a burden on anybody, especially you. So just please don't feel obligated. Her response could not have been more perfect. She says to me, I feel like I've been preparing my entire life for this very moment to take care of you. And I'm not going here. That's my choice. Well, she's a keeper. Oh, my gosh. Is she ever. Jason, I want to ask you one final question. In in the notes you sent us, you were one of those people who, who were, I don't want to say opposed, but had an attitude towards people who said cancer was the best thing that ever happened to them. And now you say cancer is the best thing that's ever happened to you. Explain that. So a good friend of mine, um, he was, he was my wingman at all the local watering holes down at Key West. And, uh, he's a boarding and Christian now married kids and he called me. He was one of those five people that called me that before the stems of transplant. And I told him, I said, you know, the blessings that have come across my plate since I've been diagnosed is unbelievable. And he says, do me a favor, do yourself a favor, do a timeline from diagnosis and track it back to, to today and all the way back to when you first, what led you to this point? And I, it kept me up again at four o'clock in the morning, go in my office excuse me and I do a timeline and it took me back till I was four years old and I started connecting the dots that got me to this point here today and uh had I not gotten cancer I probably don't I have Liz in my life which is divine intervention at every step of the way had I gotten cancer so I I took my full retirement which wasn't much and I went and bought my dream boat and had I not bought that dream boat I'm not down at my dock at one o'clock in the morning when this older woman fell in the water. She's dead. There's no doubt about it. I jumped in the water. I grabbed in the back of the swim platform. I yelled for help. She's wearing a sweatshirt, jeans, drunk as a skunk. I pull her out, help get her out of the water. She's dead had I not been had this disease, in my opinion. And then I think about the different pathways and the different people I've met and now helping people with cancer and getting them, you know, extra days and better quality of life. And I truly believe I found my purpose to spread the word about this plant. And when, how, one of my titles here in Cleveland is a student ambassador to Cleveland School of Cannabis. And I, the first class was the history of cannabis and what a wake up call that was. So I ended up acing that test and the Stuart called, uh, emailed me and said, you've been selected as one of our outstanding students, and we would like you to give a speech at an next coming open house. So I gave a speech to over 100 people, got a standing ovation. That was right when Ohio was trying to get their medical on the ballot, and I was approached by a couple dispensaries to be a part of the team. And uh, none of those people that approached me got the dispensary licenses, but I made some incredible contacts and incredible friends in the cannabis industry and in the cannabis community. And they're really, really genuinely nice people. So to answer your question, uh, just to be alive and help people and to, don't get me wrong, these last 15 years 
this last year was the most difficult year of my life. That dental transplant was no walk in the park. And I, uh, I can't, I cannot see my life being as good as now. I'm in good shape. I'm still anemic, so I can't, I can't really work out very long because my red blood cells are low and that, that's what carries the oxygen to the body. But I'm in damn good shape. I don't drink any booze anymore. I don't have the hangovers anymore. My mind's getting clearer. My wit's getting back. And uh, I'll be able to do the things that I've always wanted to do. And help as many people as I can help. And like I stated earlier, I've got such a larger platform with cancer and cannabis. I can help way more people in a more impactful way. And that's what I want to do. Jason, that's a remarkable story you've told us, and uh, it's a remarkable testament to your intestinal fortitude, I guess, in combating this uh, this ailment that you have. And one day, you will be the longest-lived person with this. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that. <laughs> that's right. Thank you. appreciate your time, Jason. It's, it was good of you to do this and spread the word about cannabis and also to tell people about the medical benefits of cannabis because it's such a misunderstood plant. And we greatly appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you. We thank you for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. If you'd like to contribute to our cause here at Cannabis Health Radio, you can do so. You can make a one-time donation or you can make a monthly donation. And if people who listen to this, Corey, made a monthly donation, about $5, the cost of a cup of coffee, then... Uh, we, it would make we, such a huge difference to us. It would make a huge difference to us. And we greatly appreciate those who have contributed thus far. And uh, if you'd like to, you can go on our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and make a contribution. I'd like to thank our producer, Ron Zahar, for his wonderful production skills and the donation of his time and studio to us. And we'd like to thank Mark in Belgium for posting our podcasts on YouTube. Most of all, we'd like to thank you for listening. Back next week with another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on Podcon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.
or don't and I'm out.